Well, good morning. How are you? Are you ready for Thanksgiving? All right. Um, who's going to cook? Who's, who's, who likes to cook in the room? Okay. Who likes to eat in the room? All right. Uh, that's wonderful. Next Sunday, I'm, ex- I'm excited about the topic. It's going to be called gluttony. We're going to preach on gluttony uh, for hours next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I'm absolutely just kidding. Stand up, shake two or three hands, and tell folks, say, I'm going to eat my normal portion. Oh. How are you, brother? You good? Good. Love you, too. Give me a cup of water. A cup of water. Okay. It was the perfect day to make history. December the 17th. 1903. The conditions were great. It was cool, which you would expect in mid-December, 40 degrees. The 20-mile-an-hour winds coming right off of the beach made it feel a whole lot colder. And two brothers had a dream, and they worked out of their bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio for years. As little boys, they had a dream. As high schoolers, they had a dream. Their father was a great man, good man. His name was, Re- he was a pastor named Reverend Wright. And Reverend Wright said to his sons, he said, boys, if God would have intended for man to fly, he would have given him wings. So the slogan kind of goes, everybody lives under the same horizon, but not everybody has the same vision, right? And these boys defied gravity. In Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, December the 17th, 1903, and the rest has been history. I don't have to have you come up with your dreams today. You already have your dreams. Everybody in the room has dreams, and guess what? Your dreams are from your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father divinely placed these dreams inside. Your dream has come directly from the throne room of God. We could talk about, I want to be a great woman, I want to be a great man, I want to build, I want to craft, I want to make, I want to, just, I want to you know, do something different, I want to be a great mom, a great dad, grandpa. All those are right. I'm not going to talk about dreams today, your dream. I have something else about dreams that God's laid on my heart. But every single one of your dreams, they have come from the throne room of God. Now, what I do want to talk about, though, is the big idea. And you're never supposed to release the big idea this early in the service, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? And the reason you're not supposed to release it this early in the service is people will get it and go, I got that, and they fall asleep, and they won't pay attention to you. I think understanding the big idea today will motivate you. It's not my idea. It's your Heavenly Father. I think the big idea today will actually help you to pay more attention, get on the app, type in the answers, whatever it is. Here's the big idea of this morning. I want you to read it on the screen. Someone is waiting to be blessed. Say that with me. Someone is waiting to be blessed. Say it again. Someone is waiting to be blessed on the other side of your dream. Now, your dream is your dream. And it is about you, but it's not yours. And the reason you have this incredible dream within you is because somebody is waiting to be blessed. Now, I'm sure 
you could have the wrong dream. So let's just talk about that for just a second. Your dream should always complement the house vision. I mean, if your dream is to be like a mafia hit boss man, you know, that's probably not the dream in the father's house, right? Um, If your dream is to be the largest, you know, pot farmer in America, you know, that's probably not a dream within the father's house. So, so your dream has to complement the Father's house. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm taking liberty with that verse. I think there's a lot of room for the dream of God's given to you. But, but your dream is never about you. There is always someone who is waiting on the other side to be blessed by your dream. This is why your dream is so important. So the first thing that happens usually is there's pushback. And people will say, well, dreams are for kids. My dream's shattered. I've lost my dream. My dream's asleep. Our dream is for the, the immature. Our dreams are for the naive. That, that could be, couldn't be further from the truth. The reason God placed that dream inside of you is somebody needs you to fulfill it. Somebody needs you to, to, to go over it. Somebody needs you to accomplish it. And so there's somebody who's waiting to be blessed on the other side because of your dream. And so it's not your dream that's the challenge. It's the process. That's what I want to talk about today. Say process, process. What happens is it's not your dream that gets lost. It's the difficulty of the process. And the process is always much more difficult than we could ever dream or ever imagine. So here's what happens. We get a dream from God, and we think, okay, it's got to happen instantaneously. The dream must be fulfilled. I'm here to tell you, your dream may not be fulfilled for a decade. Your dreams may not be fulfilled for a lifetime. Joseph was 17 years old, and God comes to him with two different dreams. And at 17 years of age, he was not prepared to fulfill that dream. That dream would not reach its fruition for 13 more years. Until he was 30 years old, he would become the process. And it was a process. Man, was it a process. Abraham was 75 years old when he got this dream. I love this. Had a man came into me. I preached in the chapel this morning. A man came up to me. He said, I'm 75. I'm still dreaming. Abraham got the dream from God that he would be the father of many nations at 75. It would be 25 more years before the child of the promise, Isaac, was born. And you talk about a process that Abraham went through. You talk about a process that Joseph went through. It's not your dream that I'm concerned about today. You already got it. You know it. It's your process. Say that with me again. It's my process. Say it again. It's my process. So you have a dream to become a cook, a chef, own your own restaurant, whatever it is. Again, there are a lot of you in this room that are really good cooks, but you've burnt the chicken, right? No, nobody's burnt chicken in this room, okay? How many of you in the room like grits? How many of you like grits? I'm, I'm from Memphis. Okay, love grits. How many of you like grits that are overcooked, Oh, nobody likes grits that are overcooked. You throw them away, right? Even a good cook overcooks your grits. And so meal after meal after meal, it's the process of becoming a good chef. Maybe it's to be a a mechanic. But every mechanic has broken spark plugs. Every mechanic has fixed and finished a water pump, 
And he looks on the workbench, and there's three little seals or three little rings over here that should have been put in that water pump about an hour ago. And he's got to start all over again. Does that happen to anybody in the room besides me? That's why I pay to get this done. I never will fix a water pump ever again in my life, ever. How about a plumber? Does anybody in the room want a plumber that that's his first day on the job? He's never done any plumbing before in his life? How about a 28-year-old guy that just finished his residency? It's Thanksgiving weekend. All the heart surgeons want to take the, the Thursday off. And a guy who's never done heart surgery says, I got you covered. I'll do this. This week is mine. Anybody in the room want to sign up for heart surgery with a person who's never done it before? Where's your faith? Of course that's not about faith, is it? It's crazy. It's ludicrous. Nobody would do that. It's a process. Everybody goes through the process And so I want to talk today about why this is important, and I want to make sure it's the house vision. It has to complement the house. It has to complement the king. It has to fit within the king's vision for your life. And I guarantee you, you already know your dream and your dreams, but I think people get lost in the process of fulfilling those dreams. So here's Joseph. It could be like a family reunion day. It's like, it's like Thanksgiving day, and everybody's at the table, mom, dad, 11, you know, 11 brothers. And Joseph, you know, has already got the coat of many colors. He's already, you know, the spoiled brat. They know he doesn't have to go out in the heat and work. He's the narc. He goes out and tattletales on everybody. They don't like him to begin with. And so here Joseph says, during, you know, like past the gravy, by the way, I had a dream. Nobody looks up. Nobody cares. And, and my dream was like stalks of grain. And like my stalk of grain rose higher than everybody else's stalk of grain. And they're going, oh, give me a break, brother, you know. And he, he, he doesn't get it. He keeps going, wearing the coat of many colors, getting all the food. And he says, by the way, I also had another dream. You want to hear my other dream? Nobody says yes. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's my other dream. My other dream was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Now, Jacob knows exactly he's the sun. Mama is the moon. And the 11 stars are the other brothers around the table. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars, they all bowed down to me. (laughs) Praise God, Jehovah, glory, hallelujah. I mean, and, and, and they're like, really? We're going to work for you? We're going to serve you. You think that at some point we're all going to, you are absolutely out of your mind. It was God's dream. It was God's vision at 17 years of age. But guess what happened the next 13 years of his life? Well, again, your dream has to support the house vision. Here's where we start with Joseph. He was thrown into a well. Now, you've all been thrown into a well. Divorce, a bankruptcy, a medical report that didn't go well, a car accident, a setback that you couldn't see was a setup. Everybody in the room has been thrown into a well. I didn't want to have to retire early. I didn't want to have to move. Everybody in the room is thrown into a well. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. 
The cistern was empty and there was no water in it. That's the first one. So what happens in this very first one is you experience the presence of God. Your well gave you time alone. And you have to have time alone. To know that you know that you know that your dream is from your Heavenly Father, there's going to be a major setback that's really a set up. And in this setback, you are discovering the presence of God. And for you to ever fulfill your dream, you and God have got to get tight. You've got to spend time alone. And nobody else can help you. Nobody else can come to your aid. Nobody else can, can rescue you. You and you alone. You're going to spend time whether you really want to or not, because you're in a well, you're in a hole, you're in a pit. You've just gone through a major tragedy of your life. And it's such a setback, but it's the process. It's the process. It's always the process. Well, secondly, what happened to Joseph was he was falsely accused. This is going to happen to you also. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you brought to us, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. This is always learning how to overcome criticism. Part of the process of your dream is nobody sees it. Nobody else understands it. It's your dream. It's not your brother's. It's not your mother's. It's not your best friend. It's your dream. And you will be criticized because of your vision and because of your dream. This was hard for me as a young pastor. I was 28 years old when I was a senior pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. Nobody should ever be a senior pastor until they're at least about 98 years old. But I I had four old men in this church, four of the meanest old men who ever got to go to heaven were in my church. (laughs) They were mean. And I'm not kidding you. If, no matter what it was, I didn't preach long enough or hard enough or I used too much Scripture or not enough Scripture or too many stories or not enough stories. Whatever I was for, they were against. They were the four me- And the elders of that church saved me. The elders absolutely came beside me every Sunday morning, two guys in front of me, two guys beside me, and they reached out with the line. You, know, you used to greet everybody, you know, as they came out the door. And they would reach in front and grab those four old men, and they would pull them through the line, just pull them through the line. And they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even let them get to me. Now, the best part of that story is I buried all four of those men. <laughs> Praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. Buried all four of them. It was a glorious moment. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You will have criticism. You will always have criticism. And I love what Teddy Roosevelt said. Teddy Roosevelt is a famous quote. I love this. It's not the critic who counts, nor the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust, sweat, blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls 
who neither knew victory nor defeat. It was Zig Ziglar who said it best, the only success some people ever taste is trying to take a bite out of you. There's a process of criticism that comes. Well, he was also thrown into prison. I don't know if that's going to happen to you or not, but here's the point. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Here's the point for you. Using your gifts in all circumstances. You see, even in prison, Joseph interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Even in the process of calamity, I am in prison and I'm innocent. I did what was right. I didn't, you know, do this with her. Look where it got me. Even in the process, Joseph used his gifts. And that's, again, part of your incredible process to fulfilling your dreams. He was faithful in the storm. I think this is maybe the most important one of all. Because as you pursue your dreams... There's always going to be storms that are expected, that are unexpected. It's not even the expected storms that get me. Isn't it the unexpected storms that that get us? He was faithful in the storm. And, And because of that, discovering who he is and who you are. It's in those moments where you discover that God is faithful. God is loyal. God will provide. God will protect. God will open doors. God will close doors. It's in those moments that you discover who you are. This last one might be a little bit dramatic, but he was placed in charge of saving the planet. That might be a little dramatic, but not much. And his people. I mean, Joseph got all in to save the planet because his dream would would bless others. And the point about this morning, besides the process, is someone is waiting, someone is waiting, someone is waiting, someone is waiting on the other side to receive the blessing. Well, if Joseph's brothers don't sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph doesn't go to Egypt. If he doesn't go to Egypt, he isn't sold to Potiphar. If he isn't sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife doesn't falsely accuse him. If she doesn't falsely accuse him, Joseph is not put in prison. If he's not put in prison, he doesn't meet the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. If he doesn't interpret their dreams, he doesn't get to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. If he doesn't interpret Pharaoh's dreams, he isn't made prime minister. If he isn't made prime minister of Egypt, he doesn't wisely save the planet from the severe uh, famine that's coming. If he doesn't save everyone from the famine... His family back in Canaan perishes. If his family perishes, the Messiah can't come from Jacob's family. If the Messiah can't come, then Jesus didn't come. If Jesus didn't come, you are dead in your sins and without hope in this world. That's the process of Joseph. I want to share one more quick process. Your process may look exactly like Joseph. Your process may look like the woman at the well, the woman at the well. Incredible story. She has a dream. And the woman at the well has a man dream. She's looking for a man with an ounce of goodness. 
is there a man on this planet with an ounce of goodness? And all she's asking for is a man dream. But she can't find it. And her dreams are shattered. Her dreams are gone. Her dreams are lost. And so she goes to the well at high noon. Now, women did not go to draw water at high noon. But she's going to the well at high noon because she's ostracized from the crowd. She goes alone. And she's a mixed race. She's not purely Gentile. She's not purely um, Jewish. She's a Samaritan woman. And there's this Jewish man sitting down, leaning up against the well. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. The reason I've come here is I'm alone. I want to be alone. Being alone is part of the process of your dream. And she comes up to the well, and sure enough, this guy can't keep his mouth shut. He's like every other guy. He's hitting on her. And so all of a sudden, he asks her for a drink. It's his ploy. It's his speech. It's his spiel. And he asks her for a drink, and she's like, I'm not going to give you a drink. You don't even have a cup of water. And these men and women, we don't drink from the same cups. So she begins to argue now with Jesus. She's alone. She begins to argue with Jesus. And Jesus quickly says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living water, and I would have given you some amazing water. She can't accept his answers. I can't get a dream. I've got a shattered dream. I can't get my dreams. She's alone. She argues. She can't accept his answers. And then Jesus does the absolute unthinkable. He gets her in touch with her dream. And if you're not a Christian and you don't really know Jesus and you hear that Jesus said, go call your husband, you're thinking, why would you just lance her pain? But Jesus had to get her in touch with her dream. Her dream was for a man that would give her an ounce of goodness. And so Jesus said, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. She said, I know, I know. I know. You've had five. You've had five. And the one you're with now, it's not working out for you, is it? And it's like, you've got to be kidding, Jesus. Why would you just... He's getting her in touch with her pain. And then after this lengthy dialogue of doctrine and theology, and she tries to get Jesus confused, which nobody ever could confuse Jesus, she runs into town. And she says... I've met a man. And they're going, well, that's nothing new. You've done a lot of that, you know. She says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I've met a man. He's not an ounce of goodness. He is an ocean of righteousness. I just met the ocean of righteousness. And the Bible says that she goes into town and she tells everyone, I have met the Messiah. I have met the Son of the living God. And the Bible says, remember your blessing's not about you. Someone's waiting to be blessed on the other side. The Bible says many in the town believed because of the word of her testimony. What a story. It's a dream. Is there any man out there with an ounce of goodness? I go into the town. I have met an ocean of righteousness. And many people become Christians because of the word of her testimony. Now, you've got a dream. And there are people who are waiting for your dream to come to fruition. 
and you can't give up on the process. It's arduous. It's difficult. It's not one size fit all. Every one of us has a different little stage and process to go through. But here these two boys are in Dayton, Ohio, with a bicycle shop with repair materials and leftover scraps trying to build something that nobody even understands. And they realized that Dayton, Ohio was not the best place to try to fly. There wasn't enough wind. They go to the National Weather Service. They check the weather. They find out that the Outer Banks, specifically Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, would be one of the best places for the 20-mile-an-hour winds that are coming off the coast. And soft sand when they crashed, you know, the plane, if it didn't work out too well. And on December the 17th, 1903, 12 seconds, 12 seconds was the first flight Years and years and years of process, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, 12 seconds. Those boys, Orville and Wilbur Wright, took flight, and history was never the same. That day, they made four successful flights in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Now, there's so much at stake with your dream, and there's so much at stake with your process. And so I I can't encourage you enough to keep dreaming, to keep dreaming. I think we stop dreaming because we underestimate the process. So our team today has written a song called Nobody Dreams. And we're going to end the service today with a little bit of fun. This has been kind of a heavy message. So now we're going to have a little bit of fun. And the coolest line in this, well, there's several cool lines, but one of the cool lines in this song is define gravity. That's really what you're doing. Your dreams are defying gravity. Let's bring the team out. Let's sing Nobody Dreams. Let's have some fun with this song. And would you welcome them right now?